Okay, are you ready for the word this morning? All right, let's pray quick. Heavenly Father, we just are so grateful for this time this morning. We thank you for uh, this church, this community. I thank you for this word uh, that, we, that we will be sharing and learning together today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if I can get this open. Uh, I'm going to start a new series today all about following Jesus. I'm really excited about it because I, I feel like this is something that we talk about, but we don't really, we don't, we don't dive deep into it. I'm going to try and take us there. So um, before I start, how many of y'all are, are a fan? Would you consider yourself a fan of something? A football team, a, a musician, maybe it's a soccer team, whatever it may be. How many of you consider yourself a fan? Show of hands. Most of us, right? Maybe you're a fan of 80s classic rock. I, I, I dabble. Huey Lewis in the News, I think, was the, the greatest 80s. 80s not, it wasn't a metal band, but 80s pop, pop rock band. Um, Power of Love, I think, is one of the... It, you, just, you, you hear it and you think of Back to the Future, right? Yeah. Michael J. Fox on a skateboard behind a little red pickup, right? You think of it, right? So we're all fans of something. Um, I know I, I share my love of the Green Bay Packers with you often. Um, they won last week. Want to know? The Vikings are 0-2, so sorry for you Minnesota fans. Um, it's okay. It's okay. I mean, it's good. Um, but this time of the year is one of my favorite times of the year. Not only is it football season, which makes it really fun, um, Graham and I are in uh, two fantasy football leagues together, which is really cool because he gets to take part in like, sometimes I think he knows more about it than I do, which is funny. But it's my favorite time of the year because of football season, but also I love the fall. Like this morning we woke up and we left our windows open last night and it was 64 degrees in our house and I was in heaven. I'm like, oh, this is great. The air is crisp. The leaves start to change. Peak should be in a couple weeks, but it's my favorite time of the year. Absolutely. From like now, September until Halloween, it's just the best six weeks of the year. What comes after winter or after fall, eh, that's debatable. But I love, I, you could say I'm a fan of the fall. Now, I want to talk to you. There's, there's a few different types of fans, and I'm not talking different like aerial fans. But there's different types of fans. So you've got those diehard fans, right? All of you all know somebody who's a diehard fan. And if you're a fan of the Packers, you probably can go to a game and see, like, I think if you go, they've got people dressed up in costumes and garb that's covered in cheese and green and gold and everything. Diehard fans, right? Typically, diehard fans, they know the stats. They know the players, their backgrounds, where they went to college, the, the team's strengths, their weaknesses. How many fit in the stadium that they play? They're diehard fans. They know everything that's everything about the, the, who they are. Now, getting away from sports, you could say there's some diehard Swifties. How many of you know what a Swiftie is? And does. Unfortunately, right? So, first of all, how many know who Taylor Swift is? Everybody knows who Taylor Swift is, right? So Taylor Swift has created this I don't want to say brand of herself, but she has created this following, this fandom that is, it's wild. She just had a tour and some of the tickets were selling for over a thousand dollars. 
for three hours of entertainment. Now, I've heard of people doing that to go to the Super Bowl or something like that. Again, I, it's, it, whatever it is, it's kind of silly. Um, but you could say that the diehard, like getting dressed, all the things, right? Diehard fans of Taylor Swift. She's, she's built this fandom that follows her. In fact, they, they're called Swifties. That is the name. If you're a Taylor Swift fan, you're a Swiftie. Uh, I don't mind Taylor Swift's music. You know, I, I wouldn't say I'm a Swiftie, but uh, I've, I've heard a few of her songs. They've got a good beat. Um, so that's a diehard fan. The next, the next level of fan is you've got average fans. That's where probably most of us fall in the world of things, right? Where you like a team, you follow the team, you maybe know a few of the players, you don't know everybody, you don't know who the equipment manager is, all, you know all the details. But you like to cheer them on, you follow them, but that's about it. That, I would say that's where I am with the Minnesota Timberwolves. They always seem to break my heart. They're supposed to be this great team, and then by the end of the year, oh, what could have been, right? I would say I'm an average fan in, in, in that room. So they, they know a little bit about the team, but they don't, know, they don't know everything about the team. And then the last group of fans, you could probably call Fairweather fans. Maybe call them bandwagon fans. It seems like in Minnesota there's a lot of Fairweather bandwagon fans, right? Uh, where if the team stinks... You don't care about watching them, but if they're good, you set your DVR and you watch that game start to finish, right? Until they're not good again and then you stop watching it, right? They're a Fairweather fan. They only care if it's going well for them. They only care if their team is winning or the, you know, whatever they're a fan of is, is successful, right? Over the years, and my parents can attest to this, I've had different varying tastes in music. When I was in high school, some of you guys are going to laugh about it. I loved heavy metal, screamo, hard rock music. I don't like it so much anymore, but I did. I had this phase of when I was like 16 to 18 that I loved it. And I would put it on in our house. <laughs> My mom reacts. It's about how I reacted then. Turn that off. I didn't know what they were saying. I, it, I liked it. I, li I liked the, the double bass and the drum. I liked it. Now if I were to listen to it, I'd be like, oh. Give me, turn something else on, right? Um, but there are moments, moments in time where I'm like, ooh, I could just go for some heavy metal. So I'll turn on the Christian heavy metal, and I'm like, that was good, five minutes. Okay, I'm good. One, one or two songs. I could say I'm a Fairweather fan, fair fan in that. But most Fairweather fans are fans when things are going great. But then as soon as things get tough, or their team starts to lose, they fall away. And you could probably see where I'm going with this, right? I'm going to tell you a story. So I'm going to take you back to 1996. January 31st, 1996. The Green Bay Packers were playing in Super Bowl 31. It's so strange. This is my level of love for the Green Bay Packers. I can remember exactly what we ate for dinner where we watched the game, who was there, the emotions I felt when they won. It was an unbelievable game. Brett Favre threw for three touchdowns. I'm not going to name who it was because that'll make me sound really strange. Um, but it was an incredible game. Incredible game. The Packers were so good. So good. It was so fun. Uh, and it's, it's a memory I will cherish for my entire because I watched it with my dad and my sisters and we ate Subway for dinner because I grew up in Ellsworth and your options in Ellsworth were Subway, 
or Dairy Queen. The Dairy Queen doesn't even exist anymore. So there's Subway and McDonald's. There wasn't many options, but we had Subway. Never forget that. The year after, the Packers made it to the Super Bowl again, Super Bowl 32, and they played Denver. The difference is they lost. I couldn't tell you a lick about what I did, where I was, because it doesn't, it doesn't hold true in my, in my brain, because it wasn't a memory that I, I, I hold to. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a super fan, but I block out those things. When th- I couldn't tell you, I can tell you when the Packers were really good. 2011, they went 15-0, and 0 and then they lost. I couldn't tell you three years later when they, I think they went 4-12 and 12 or some crazy number. Like, right? Like, you, you remember the things that matter most to you. I forget the disappointment. And that's how most fans are. Every year, if you talk to every fan, like I bet if Laura, I asked her right now, if the 49ers are going to the Super Bowl, she'd say, absolutely they are. <laughs> and I bet if I talked to Joel, your son, the Raiders were going to win the Super Bowl, right? Uh, most fans have this expectation. Every, this is our year. We're going to do it, right? They have this expectation. And then sometimes... Like last year, I don't think anybody expected the Philadelphia Eagles to make it to the Super Bowl. It was a surprise. Maybe their fans did. Nobody else did. So you can have these three levels of fans. You have the diehard, know everything about everything about a team or a person. You've got the average fan, and, the, and then you've got the fairweather fans. And I promise there's a, there's a point to this. I'll get to that. So today we're going to discuss what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You could say that oftentimes fans of a team are a follower of that team, right? What does it mean to be a diehard fan for Jesus and to not allow circumstances dictate whether or not we're choosing to follow him? So let's get into the word. Uh, Turn with me to Mark chapter 1, verse verse 16. That's where we're going to start. Verse 16. Do we have that one, Cliff? Stand by. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 16. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. Feel free to read out of whatever translation suits you. Uh, It says, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother, Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. I want to hone in on that at once. What does that mean? So we'll get back to that. A little further up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called to them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the the boat with the hired men. So this is one of the examples, and I will read through a couple different examples of this, this story in the different Gospels, but this is an example of someone seeing Jesus and choosing to follow the, him immediately. It doesn't say that he called to them and said, come follow me. And they're like, you know, I'm really happy here. Maybe in like a week. Come find me in a week. I'll, you know, I, I'm, I'm really enjoying this fishing lifestyle. Come find me in a month. Like, we're good. We're good. You, you go find some other people. No, like it, it says that at once... They chose to follow him. What does that mean at once? It means instantly. There wasn't a doubt or a hesitation in their mind. Because you have to remember, they were waiting for Jesus. They knew of the coming Messiah. 
that had been prophesied about throughout the Old Testament. So they knew he was coming. And when he came, there wasn't a moment of thought put into it. It wasn't, man, if I follow this guy, I can't smell like a fish all day and deal with these nets. Like There was none of that. How am I going to provide for my family? What's my family going to think? What are my friends going to think? Oh, you're following that guy? No. Without hesitation, they chose to follow him. And what does that look like in our own lives? What does it look like? Most of us, I think all of us, have accepted Jesus as our Lord. But what does it mean to follow him at once? It means that when he says, come here, you go there. When he says, go there, you go there. You don't stop and go, "Mm, this is really uncomfortable. I don't really want to do that. No, you are obedient and you follow him. Come and follow me. And, And I love the correlation that Jesus shares. And you know, Jesus, he always talks in parables. He always talks in, in ways like, come follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. Other translations, I'll be, you know, show you how to become fishers of men. I'm sure they were like, fish for people? What? Like we're throwing nets out? Like, right? Like if you think about that logically, it doesn't quite make sense. But what he is doing is he's setting the stage for them. What will you be doing? You're going to be bringing people to me. You're going to be bringing people to me. Just like when you fish, back then they used nets. But now, if you're fishing, you've got a line and maybe a bobber or whatever. You catch the fish. What do you have to do to catch the fish? You have to bring it back to you. You can hook a fish all you want. And if you just leave it set in the water, it's not coming back to you. It's just going to swim and swim eventually until it breaks the line and it goes off and does its own thing. You have to bring it back to you. So Jesus is setting the stage for his disciples that not only are you going to come follow me, but you're going to bring people back to me. Right? Many of us can recall the moment that we chose to follow him, right? Maybe you were a young child. Maybe you were an adult. We can all remember that moment, just like I can remember what it was like in 1996 at that Packer game, right? We can, we can remember that moment, much bigger moment than a football game uh, following Jesus, but we can remember that moment. Why? Because he pulled on our heart. There was that moment where you're, maybe you were sitting in a service, maybe you were watching something on TV or over the radio, and you felt that tug. Follow me. Come, follow me. Come, follow me. And we made that choice to follow him, just like the disciples did. It wasn't even a hard decision for them when he said, come follow me. Again, they chose at once, without hesitation. But there is more to this story. And that's where I want to take us to the book of Luke. So Mark shares his, uh, his rendition of this encounter. Now we're going to turn to Luke chapter 5. We'll start in verse 2. Luke chapter 5, verse 2. He said, He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, No, go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night 
and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. Now imagine that scene. For those of you that fish, going out and getting skunked is probably one of the worst feelings. Absolutely awful. When I grew up, we went to a lake in northern Wisconsin, Big Portage Lake. I fished there for probably 11 years out of my life. I caught two fish all those 11 years. Yes, and I continued to try to fish. Why? I still, I still ended up liking fishing. I can thank Sheree's dad for that. Um, I, but it got to the point when I was you know, a teenager and I wanted to catch a fish so bad, I would put my rod tip under the water and I would reel in just so I could see what it looked like for my bobber to be under the water. That's how bad it was. Yet I continued to want to fish, right? But it got to the point where I was like, man, this fishing thing is for the birds. I don't like this anymore. Until I went with Cherie's family. I was in seventh grade. Uh, yes, we knew each other way back when. Um, I went with her dad and her brother and Charity to their, their cabin. Now it's the cabin that we go to. And I had the greatest night of fishing as a teenager well, you know those metal baskets that you used to hold fish in? It was full. There's a picture, I wish I had it, there's a picture of Cherie's brother and I sitting at the table in their cabin covered in sunfish with a fork and a knife, you know, like we're going to eat them, right? That reignited my joy for fishing. <laughs> Thankfully now I figured out how to fish and I, I have not gone back to Big Portage yet to try and fish. <laughs> maybe, someday I, maybe someday I will, I'll probably have the same result. Um, that's right. I'm going to catch all the fish, like, like the, what is it, Ernie here, fishy, 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 right? So you can imagine how, the, how Simon's feeling right now. Jesus gets in the boat. They just had a long night, overnight, trying to catch fish. They don't catch a thing. And now Jesus comes and tells them, go throw out your nets one more time. I'm sure he was like, really, dude? I'm tired. I stink. I don't want to be here. I want to go home and sleep. But if you say so, I will best decision he ever made right he goes and he does it he throws the net back out and you can imagine what it had because you, you don't think of a big fishing boat or a metal fishing boat now like throwing a net out and having it be full of fish they had to do everything i'm sure in their power to not have that boat just capsized right and after having a night where you don't catch anything to having that moment wow i'm sure they were like what just happened and i'm sure jesus just kind of smiled like you going to follow me now? So then if we continue reading, and, and this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others were with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. How does that end? They left everything and followed Jesus. Everything. Could you imagine leaving everything and following him? Leaving your car, your house, your job everything. I'm following you, Lord. You don't hear many stories like that today. 
their wives, their families, to choose to follow him because they knew who he was. They knew who he was. They became followers of Jesus. They started following him in that moment. And you see, their attitudes changed, especially Simon's, changed almost instantly. He went from being tired and hungry and stinky to forgetting all about those things because of what Jesus did for him. It's really easy in our life to be tired, hot, hungry, stinky. And in those moments, you don't feel like yourself. Well, it's like that commercial, right? You're not yourself. Here, eat a Snickers, right? In those moments, we don't feel like ourselves. And I'm sure Simon was like, probably didn't feel like himself. Probably hungry. Probably wanted to get home, eat a meal, take a nap. But as soon as Jesus did this, he forgot about all those things because it didn't matter. What mattered was being in the presence of Jesus and choosing to follow him. And imagine if we had that outlook that when things were tough, when we were frustrated, when we were angry, and instead of just sitting there and staying in that, we got in the presence of Jesus, how our countenance would change, how our mindset would change, how we would go, I forgot about all those things. Right? And you can imagine what the life of a fisherman had to have been back then. It wasn't easy. They weren't taking out their 16-foot Lund fishing boat with their 150-horse motor and finding the spot with their sonar and their live optics and all the technology that we have nowadays. No. I'm sure they were rowing or they had a sail to get to the spot. They threw down their nets and they waited, pulled them back up, did it again and again and again. And you can imagine doing that all night to not catch anything. That would be really hard. It'd be really frustrating. I know that even when we go fishing now and the fishing isn't great, you're like, oh, I just spent three hours sitting in a boat in a beautiful day on a lake and I didn't catch anything. I'm frustrated. Right? Like, imagine how they must have felt not having all of those things. It wouldn't be easy. It would be a hard life. And you know what? Jesus knew that. The thing that I love most about Jesus, and you can see this in this example of these stories of when he called his first disciples, he met them exactly where they were at. He met them exactly where they were at. He didn't say, hey, I know you just had a long night of fishing. You stink. You're dirty. Go home and shower and then come follow. No, he went and met them right where they were at. And you know what? He meets us right where we are at. He meets us in our junk, in our muck. He doesn't expect us to have it all put together before we're following Him. He knows that we can't have it all put together. And He knew His disciples didn't have it all put together. He knew that in order for them to follow Him, He needed to meet them where they were at. Remember, Jesus was perfect. If he expected everybody to come up to him, he wouldn't have had any disciples. Nobody could come up to where he was at. He met them where they were at. And I want to encourage you, if you've got someone in your life that's maybe struggling, or they need to find Jesus, encourage them. He wants to meet you 
where you're at. He wants to meet you where you're at. You don't have to have it put together. You don't have to have it perfect. And I would want this church, Glory Church, to be a place where people could come, no matter their circumstances, no matter their situation, they could come and Jesus would meet them where they were at. Right? We want this to be a place where Jesus can come and meet people where they're at. And that includes all of us that are here now. We've all got stuff going on. We've all got situations and challenges and things that are tough. Jesus wants to meet us where we're at, just like he did with the disciples. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. You're not going to always have it put together. You're not going to always be right. You're not going to always be clean or not smelly. Figuratively, of course. Uh, And that's okay. Jesus doesn't, he wants to grow you. He wants to mature you, but he meets you right where you're at. All right, I want to look at one more example uh, in the book of Matthew. So turn uh, Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 9. So this is when Jesus calls Matthew to follow him. So for those of you who don't know, Matthew was a tax collector. Tax collectors weren't people's favorite people. In fact, they were kind of despised. Why? Because they took money from Jewish people to give back to the Romans. So people don't like tax collectors. They required them to give money that they probably didn't have. And, and it, was, it was this ugly interaction. So let's start in verse 9. It says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Now I want to stop there. Can you imagine the look on the other disciples' faces when Jesus asked a tax collector to be his disciple? I'm sure it was like, really, this, that guy? There's nobody, be- that guy? That's who you're going to choose? I have to be friends with him? Right? I'm sure it wasn't well-received. I'm sure that was a, uh, you know. Yes, there was probably some disagreements there, right? Continuing on. So Matthew got up and followed him. Again, instant. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. It's funny. It's an interesting way to describe it. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples. Mind you, they didn't go ask Jesus himself. They went and asked his followers. Why does your teacher eat with such scum? Now, this is the New Living Translation, so I'm sure if you read yours might say something different. I love this, though. It says, when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy not offer sacrifices, for I have come to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. <coughs> Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I don't know about you, but I know I'm not healthy. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I've got things in my life that I know need to be cleaned up. And that's where Jesus comes in. That's where Jesus steps in. Because he is there to help us. He took Matthew 
somebody who is despised in society and made him his disciple. Somebody who isn't liked. And I'm sure you can probably do that where you've, maybe you've had had a moment in your life where you see somebody and you go, you're a Christian? You follow Jesus? Maybe it's the way they looked. Maybe it's the way they talked. Maybe it was the way that you encountered them. You were surprised. You follow Jesus? The thing is, Jesus came to save everyone. Everyone. He didn't come to save select people. He came to save every single person. If he's meeting us where we're at, He's meeting us where we're at, and he came to save us in those situations. So Matthew, who chose to be a tax collector, Jesus met him where he was at. He didn't find Matthew after work and said, hey, I know, I don't really want... No, he went to his tax collector's booth. His tax collector's booth and said, hey, you, you in there, come follow me. And he did. It was a very public display. That's how Jesus did things. You want to follow me? You make it very known that you're following me. Right? And then later, not only is he asking Matthew to follow him, but now he is also, this rug, uh, he is also asking, or he's having dinner with all these people that the religious people would have said, oh, we can't be seen with them. We can't socialize with them. They're not worthy of our our time. A party with them? No way. And they ask the question, why would you do that? Jesus is there for everybody. And he sees the people that are unseen by the world. We don't need to be perfect. And he makes this clear. And the thing is, is even after we choose to follow Jesus, we make that commitment in our life. We're following him. That doesn't mean that we're not going to make mistakes. Think about this. Jesus' disciples followed him for three years. If you think about it, Shri and I were talking about this. We were reading in a book this week. They followed him for three years. Now, that doesn't mean that they were like, hey, Jesus, we're going to see you for dinner on Thursday every week. No, they were with him from the time they woke up until the time they went to bed. With him, side by side, doing ministry with him. Now, I know there's a time when they went out two by two. But for the most part, those three years, they were with Jesus. Right? And yet, on the day of Jesus' crucifixion, in that process... What happens? Jesus does, d- denies, or Peter denies knowing Jesus three times. He just spent three years with the guy. Yeah. Imagine spending three years side by side with somebody, and then they get into a pickle, and you go, I don't even know who they are. <laughs> yeah, really. And what happens after Jesus dies? Peter re- or Jesus reassures Peter three times, No, I love you. I love you, I love you. Gives him commands. And then Peter goes on to be a, a cornerstone of the, the early church. So even in our situations, even when we're following Jesus, we've made that commitment. We are going to make mistakes. It's funny. 
Because during prayer, you maybe heard me chuckle, Danielle, when you were reading out of 2 Corinthians. It's so cool how the Holy Spirit works, because what we were praying about this morning in prayer was what I was preparing to share. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to read, in, uh, not in verse uh, 11 through 13, but we're going to read in verse 9. So 2 Corinthians verse 9, it says, Each time, and this is Paul talking about the thorn in his flesh. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then he is strong. And this is for when I am weak, that I am strong. Through Jesus. He also shares this in Romans. Romans chapter 3, verse 24. I think we got that one. Yep. Uh, Yet God, in His grace, freely, hone in on that word, freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. Yet God... You could say, but God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. So we know Paul, he had this thorn in his flesh. We don't ever really find out what that thorn was. But it says, my grace is all that you need. And then in Romans it says, yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. I want to tell you this today. In order for us to follow Jesus, we have to understand His grace for us. In order for us to understand and follow Jesus, we first need to understand His incredible grace for us. What does grace mean? It's a free gift. It's a free gift. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve it So that way we can't boast that we did it. We did it. We made this. It's a free gift for us. Freely accepting His grace, His mercy, is exactly where following Him starts. When you accept His grace. And that's what we do. When we ask Jesus to be the Lord of our life, we're accepting the grace, the gift that He is for us. And that grace isn't something that you get once and it's gone. It's not like a battery where it, you know, diminishes and you got to recharge it. It's there. It's a free gift. If you want to, like, if you really want to dive in, Joseph Prince has some incredible sermon series on, on God's grace. But it's a free gift. Freely accepting His grace, His mercy, is exactly that. That's where it starts following Him. It starts with us receiving that grace. And continuing to receive that grace day after day after day after day. Because let's face it, there's not a single one of us in here that can go a single day without sinning. And that's not a knock on any of us. I'm not trying to make us sin conscious or sin aware. I'm just making a very plain statement. We all fall short of the glory of God. Through His grace... What does Paul say? In His grace, He freely makes us right in His sight. Jesus died on the cross for us 
for our sin from before we knew him, when we know him, and in the future. His, his death on the cross would be so diminished if we thought it only cleansed us up to a certain point. Because then it's not about him, it's about us. And following him means truly accepting that grace. The book of Lamentations 3.23, many of you know this. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. His mercies begin afresh every morning. Some of you might say, yeah, I've heard the grace message over and over and over. I've heard it many, many times. I've heard it. Let's be honest. We can't hear it enough. We can't hear it enough. We can never hear about His grace too much. Why? Because it encourages us. It enriches our faith. We should be reminding ourselves daily how much He cares for us, how much He loves us, that His mercies are new. Speak the word over your life. Speak the word over your heart. The enemy wants nothing more than to try and hold you back and keep you and remind you of your past and your old sin and all the things you did 20 years ago. You know what? When Jesus covered that, when you accepted Christ, all of that, he throws into the deepest part of the sea. It's gone. It's gone. And the enemy wants to hold you there. Oh, no, it's not gone. It's still there. Remember when you did that when you were, you know, nine years old and you punched that kid? Sure. Yeah, I do remember that. You know what? Jesus redeemed me from that. Or do you remember yesterday when you got mad at your kid because they did this? Sure, I do remember that. But you know what? Jesus redeemed me from that. That's what his grace is all about. And you know what? There's no better way to shut the enemy up than to shove it back into his face. When he tries to remind you of the things that you did wrong, shove it right back at him. Fill it back up with the word. Renew your mind. Right? So I want to start to close with this. I talked about being a fan to start my message. Most fans have a short memory span. They forget things pretty quickly. Their team could have went 0-16 the year prior, And the next year, they forget about it. They have a short memory span. They forget the bad. They remember the good. They forget the past, the times that weren't fun or hard. And they look to the future. As followers of Jesus, we need to do the same. We need to forget the past mistakes, the past hurt, the things that are holding, we need to forget those things and we need to look to Him. Jesus has redeemed us from the pain, the remorse, the guilt that try, the enemy tries to hold us back. Because you know what? When, when the enemy can do that, he holds us back from stepping into what God has called us to do. Because it's really hard to step out into something God has asked you to do when you're trapped in your own past regret. Because you're going to sit there and go, I'm not good enough to do that because of this, this, or this. How, how am I supposed to share Jesus with somebody when I make mistakes all the time? It's not about that. His grace is so much more than anything we have ever done in the past. He endured the cross for us 
So that way we wouldn't have to remember our past. And just like we discussed a few weeks ago, He wants to refine us. He wants to continue to draw us closer to Him, to make us new. Taking away, pruning away the things that don't, don't, don't need to be there. Just like a tree. And have you ever pruned a tree or a bush? We have this, these beautiful bushes, like beautiful pine bushes right in the front of our house. And sometimes they get a little squirrely. What do we do? We prune them back. In fact, last year we had another bush that was literally overtaking the corner of our house. And it was so ugly. I was ready to dig it out. And I got the loppers and I cut it back. And we, this spring we're like, that's the prettiest bush in our yard. Because we had to clean it up. We had to prune away all the excess, all the things that were needed, all the extra stuff. And when it came back, it was better than before. Following Jesus means allowing him to do that. It means allowing him to prune away the things that aren't necessary. The things that are holding us back. The things, and all of us can probably think of something that we go, oh, that just hurts. He wants to replace that with love, joy, and strength for you to continue to grow. Following Jesus means that we're devoted to him, that we choose first to follow him, just like the disciples did. Without hesitation, they followed him. He wants the same from us. It doesn't mean we have to be fully cleaned up to do that. We can come as we are, accepting that free gift of grace and salvation through Jesus every single day. Every day. There's not a day that goes by that you shouldn't be going, Lord, I'm so thankful for your grace in my life. I'm so thankful for your goodness in my life. I'm so thankful that you came and died for us every single day. Following Jesus, it's something that we all get to do. Oftentimes, some people look at Christianity and they go, oh, you have to do that. Oh, you have to read your Bible. Oh, you have to go to church. Oh, you have to go to Bible study. No, 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 no. I get to do that. I get to follow Jesus. I get to know him. I get to call him my friend. Right? Steve's going to come up. We're going we're gonna to close the service as we receive communion.